Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this uh, this video podcast, or if you are on audio, the ordinary podcast. I have with me uh, Gina Balaran, who is the author of The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of People. Uh, I'm very excited to, to have her on our, on our show today. Uh, this is one of the... Um, conference-related podcasts from Omnichannel X. Uh, if you have, a, if you, this is your first podcast, you should definitely check out our stream, check out some of the others, um, and uh, check out the website to find out about our conferences and uh, other events. So, Gina, welcome. Uh, please, I would, uh, I've already had a chance to have a little chat with you, but please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you very much indeed for having me. So Gina Ballerin, Gina Ballerina to my friends. I am a content marketer by profession, but I'm a storyteller by passion. So I run a company called Verbalistics, verbal plus ballistics, making your words go mental. And effectively, <laughs> what I do is I work with um, corporate B2B companies, predominantly in the software space, to be able to help them tell their customers' stories better as part of their marketing. So my background is as a content marketer, also as a marketing director. So I've been in the position of the shoes of a lot of the, the marketers who are struggling with not having enough evidence to be able to really make software tangible. Because mm. if fundamentally, you know, you don't get those little boxes of software that you used to back in the day where you'd actually buy a physical disk and install it. So how do you make something intangible actually real? Obviously, people use their websites, but that, everyone knows that's marketing spin, right? Mm. But there is an element of authenticity, of truth, that customers can bring to marketing. And yes, of course, everyone knows that marketers select the parts mm -hmm. that are relevant. But the really mm -hmm. powerful stories are those that actually include elements of dissatisfaction or, you know, we were unhappy, but now we're even happier because of the mm -hmm. way they fixed the problems or the things that made it great. And that is effectively what I do is I help build those stories from people if they don't have them by mm -hmm. talking directly to their customers or even inspiring their customers to tell those stories by speaking at their events and then making them really excited about what they've done and sharing the stories of other customers like them mm. to kind of pull them in and attract them and help them engage with that company in a, oh yeah, that guy told a great story. I want to tell mine too, kind of me too way, not in the but other me too kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a that is a that is dear to our hearts because I think it speaks to the uh, the the organization brand relationship, and it's yeah. it's it's a humanizing perspective which is very important to us. You know, we're talking a lot about at OmniX uh, about how how does a brand, especially a B two B brand, which can mm -hmm. be very large, cold thing, and nebulous, yeah, faceless, you know. Um, uh, contactless things, how can you make that a bit more human? How can you make those those human connections, uh, which are required throughout the cycle? You know, there's the pre-sale cycle. Absolutely. But a, a customer story is inherently post-sale. Uh, and I, that's, you know, that's very important, uh, I feel, because it's those stories, it's the post-sales experience that the pre-sales customer is really buying. It's, Definitely. I think in marketing and sales, we focus a lot on that. How do we get to the purchase order bits? But that, that it's when you know you, as I say, it's the, if you, you get what you measure. If we're measuring for that bit, when it's actually the, the bit afterwards, which is going to make our brand for the long term, then there's a danger in that. 
Well, part of the challenges I've come across is that I like working with customers who have happy customers. Mm -hmm. And when they don't have happy customers, mm -hmm. you can't find those stories mm -hmm. because the customers simply don't have the end of journey story that you can use at the beginning of the journey. And Excellent. that means that actually the answer to good marketing, certainly from the perspective of telling good stories, is actually having excellent customer service across the entire buyer's journey. And that way, if you've got that consistency, people know what to expect that they're going to buy. They get what they're going to buy. They get that what they've bought delivered, which is not always the case, especially in software. And then they get their problems solved around the stuff that they were expecting to be delivered. And then they're happy and they'll tell that story. And then that story then goes back to the beginning so that you can encourage other people to do the same. But in that process, so often there, there is massive disconnect opportunity throughout any stage of that journey. And I think that marketing now is far further down the funnel than it ever was in the past, but it's going to go even further. It's going to go right out the bottom of the funnel and back up again, because if we want to tell good marketing, we have to be in the meetings with the customer representatives. We have to be in the meetings with the people who are solving problems on the phone. We have to be in the meetings with the people who are actually building the software and who are finding out what their users really want to do next, because only then, can marketing actually build that seamless journey from beginning to end and back up again? Uh, it's, it's like we were born in the same pod. <laughs> You're definitely, <laughs> I think philosophically, it's, it's, it's uh, couldn't agree more. Um, I, you're talking a lot about the, the, the understanding piece about how marketers mm. have to go beyond marketing. And uh, you know, that's what Omni, I think for Omnichannel, we, we slant towards marketing and you're a marketing uh, expert. But it, it is about bringing together those people. How does, a, how, do, how does marketing interface with product development, with service, yeah. with technical yeah. documentation, with yeah. the whole rest of the organization so that the, the user is having the right experience? And I think uh, the, the way that I first heard of you actually was through your, through your excellent article, How to Stop Creating Content That Disappoints Your Audience on the Content Marketing Institute, which we've both spoken at their events. Um, and personas are a topic uh, dear to my heart. I'm, I want to hear a lot, a little bit about that from you because they're essential to that understanding piece, which you're just talking about. But there's a bit of a debate right now. So, because there's the whole personas versus personalization debate, like data-driven uh, individual personalization. The personas are a kind of an antiquated way of grouping together customers inappropriately, and we should be tailoring, micro-tailoring to every individual. Can you tell us a little bit of where you stand on that whole, that whole thing? So um, thank you for having a copy of my book because there's a chapter in there about personas, which is actually my frustration with people creating personas that are essentially caricatures. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know that you've got to get to know someone by assuming that they're a certain way and then you build a real relationship with them. You realize that, you know, just because they're this gender or this ethnicity doesn't actually mean that they behave like that. It's a useful starting point, mm -hmm. but it's not actually going to help you understand who they are. Mm -hmm. It's a similar thing with personas. And it really depends how marketers use it. If you've built a persona, let's say CFO Greg, he has two and a half kids. He lives in a house of X value in this suburb and he travels to work from time A to time B and he you know, has runs an organization with this many employees, this business size, this budget. Do you know who Greg is? 
Do you know what Greg wants? Do you even know that his name is Greg? You know what? His name might be Sharon or Susan. And the whole point is that caricatures, if you're focusing on what you're talking to your audience and you have your audience's desires in mind when you're creating a piece of content, that's a good thing. So from that perspective, you know, you've put some thought into who is Greg or Susan and what do they want and how can we give them what they want? That's not a bad thing. So in that perspective, if marketers are actually getting more insight about their prospective customers, that's great. But the problem is that most activities around personalization are very different from the personas. And that's the challenge. So in content marketing, when you're creating a piece of content to speak to a specific audience, Mm-hmm. You've got to find those subtle nuances and balances. And what ends up happening is that you just create multiple versions of the same thing. And there isn't really the time to be able to tailor everything exactly for 15 different people. Mm-hmm. So personas are helpful in that they help you, you know, put some information in the right place. But what is really fascinating is the concept of what actually underpins their desire to succeed. And often that is a human innate thing. I am a leader, therefore my purpose is to either meet the targets of the organization and deliver the results, or Mm -hmm. I'm a human-centric leader. And my focus is actually to build the relationships that my people have with my customers or to improve their own leadership ability or to get them to take new initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. Now, ironically, Fred or Susan or Bob would have the same persona but completely different perspectives because Susan might be trying to build her organization through her people or she might be trying to build her organization just to meet those financial objectives unless you know what purposes your business is actually serving what problems you're actually solving for Bob or Susan you might as well not bother creating content that has any personas at all because they're going to see straight through it and they're going to go, well, you're targeting me, but you actually don't know me mm-hmm. at all. So, so stop trying to talk to me because you're just giving me noise. So what I'm hearing is that uh, the, the kind of the, pro, the demographic profile information, which we so often see in personas, um, age, sex, location, job role, um, uh, channels, etc. That is just some background context, but it's actually the human motivation bit that if you don't get the personal motivation and the personal interest of the persona, then the persona is actually lacking any real value. Absolutely. But it's much more challenging than it looks on paper. You mentioned the the word, sorry, you mentioned the word psychographic. Yes. Please help us. (laughs) Okay. So I did a project, which unfortunately I left the organization before it came to completion with Mm -hmm. a research agency that was completely different. They weren't looking at the demographic variables. They were looking Mm -hmm. at what was going on in the heads of their audiences. Oh, great. And they actually did in-depth research with our target audience who happened to be CFOs at the time Uh to really ask about what were their motivators, what were their drivers, Mm. what was success for them, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't get to see that research all the way through, I did something very similar when I was writing a piece of content. I think it was called CFO's Definitions for Success or something. It was back in 2014 or 2015. I can't remember exactly. But what it what we did by just randomly picking a selection of CFOs who happened to be the kind of target audience that might have been buying our software. Mm-hmm. 
and interviewing them, much like we're doing today, is we were able to pull together a document with similar themes, similar questions. What do you see as success for the next decade? How does success work for your team? And weave those subtly different perspectives together in a way that made you really go, ah, okay. So we see that those CFOs who are really focused on driving innovation mm -hmm. have these specific drivers in mind. This is what they believe is going to actually help success with the organization. We have those people who are dealing with laggards in the software world who aren't up to speed yet. Well, this is how they're focusing on adopting technology in their organizations. Oh. And so maybe there's room for companies to actually focus, get super focused on their audience and identify triggers that show them for who they are inside rather than who they are outside. Mm. I okay. don't believe that with, even with the best technology that we have those triggers yet, particularly mm -hmm. when it comes to CFOs, because they don't really like to, to, to tell people much about themselves online. Yeah. And that's partly why the really in-depth research of understanding your customers, of having actual conversations with yes. your customers yes. helps build that positive feedback loop yes. that then helps marketers and coincidentally at the same time it also helps the rest of the organization because they know that marketing is genuinely interested in what they're doing and as a result it's going to make their life easier when someone actually buys the product because then they're getting what they expected i love that um i think uh i think that's the point for me i, I fall on the same side of this and as uh, as much as we talk a lot about at the Omni Channel X about the importance of data, the importance of being data driven, data informed. That does not replace mm. human interaction and research because you can't query those kind of things out of the data. You cannot get a data scientist to give you those kind of insights today, um, at least, and no matter how much AI you throw at it. Um, well, what's interesting about that, if I may interject for a sure, second, sure, sure. is the difference between um, uh, data that is uh, qualitative and quantitative. Okay. So for my own research, when I was doing a master's degree, I did a combination of both, which is quite mm -hmm. unusual because usually tend, people tend to fall into either the qualitative or mm -hmm. the quantitative. Do you mm -hmm. want numbers to prove your, your stuff or do you actually want quality, you know, human words talking about their feelings and blah, 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 mm -hmm, blah which mm -hmm. a data person will go yakety schmack. But the interesting thing is the intersection between those two. And what I did is I used the uh, quantitative data to be able to go, ah, here's where the outliers are, or here's where the commonalities are. Let me drill down to that in more detail. And then interviewed the people who gave thorough in-depth responses to those qualitative questions which brought out the whole color behind everything. And mm. so that combination of, this is what the data tells us, mm -hmm. but can we actually validate that data with real human experience? Or as in the case with, I'm a little bit concerned about the future, you know, are, we, are we getting data that we expect to see because we're looking at the wrong things? Mm. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's, I think that's, that's a, such a good point that the human interaction is where you can go, oh, we're not even capturing that data point. There, exactly. There's a giant blind spot in our data, mm -hmm. which is very, very easy. And uh, if you're relying completely on data, very, very dangerous at scale. 
Um, but let's not underestimate the value of a true data scientist, someone oh, who can look at random facts and stats and graphs that I, as a, as a naturally qualitative researcher, would mm -hmm. look at that and go, whoa, dude, I don't know how you see that. I had this yeah. absolute beauty pleasure of working with a true data scientist a few years ago. And we were looking at actually HubSpot marketing data. Mm -hmm. And he could look, wait, hang on, there's a, there's a trend there. Where does that come from? What were you doing at that time? And he goes, ah, and I can say, yes, that's what I think we was doing. He said, yeah, okay, but that would explain this trend and this trend, but it doesn't explain the whole trend here. What I'm seeing is ABC. And that's when, as a marketer, I can go, oh my word, that is true depth of insight. So a lot of the companies that I'm working for at the moment are talking about analytics, they're talking about mm -hmm. business intelligence, they're talking about reporting, they're even talking about um, robotic and, and RPA and, and automation and, and all of those three-letter acronyms. <laughs> but the important thing that underlies all of that is if you have vast quantities of data, that data has to be analyzable somehow. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do with that anal analysis? I mean, there's a data pyramid. I'm sure you can explain this better than I can as a more of a data person. But the point is that you go from just numbers to true insight. Mm. And that's not something that a machine can do for you necessarily, or not yet anyway. Yes, I think, I, and I, um, kind of, you know, that's the story that we, that we want to tell, is that it's not any one role. It's not that our our role in as, as marketers or our role as UX people or our role as, as systems and data science people is the role to listen to. And that that's, I think what we come keep coming back to is that all the new hot stuff like AI and, and big data and analytics and so on, they are new. Um, they are new uh, paints in our, in our bucket, but they are not, they are not replacements for, they are additional to very rarely does uh, a tried and true technique simply drop off in importance? Um, channels drop off, like I don't, fa fax is a dead channel. But, <laughs> um, the, but the, the, the techniques of understanding and uh, uh, reaching out to people, those things that we've been doing as businesses for, for centuries, I think they're, they're, they're still there. And it's a question of how all these things play together in concert. That's, I think that's well, the, the that's a, two phrases. Two points there. The first one is faxes, believe it or not, are not dead. I still work with Fax organizations in oh, okay. invoice <laughs> automation and honest to God, they still send each other fax documents. I'm still like, what? Seriously? Nope. But it happens. Believe it or okay. not. The second point that that raises is a question. It's not, an, not something we have an answer to, but it's an interesting thing to cogitate about, which is if people are naturally data inclined and there have always been parts of the population that can look at information and see almost behind it. Maybe mm. they're just curious enough to ask the right questions about it. Are we just giving them more tools to be able to do that? Or is there a possibility that we're actually getting to a point where the tools themselves become noise? Mm. There's too much information. They're from different sources. We don't know how to reconcile stuff. Even 10 years ago when I was working with different marketing automation systems, we were getting different versions of the truth. And mm. so people in different parts of the organization would argue for whichever one made their numbers look better. <laughs> it's human nature. Yes. Um, I, I, that's come up with a lot of, well, speaking as a consultant now rather than as I'm in Channel X, it's come up a few times where uh, the problems have been 
that we have uh, we have people silos, and then but with those people silos come data and system silos, and uh, so many clients are talking about data lakes. And we would want to throw all our data in a big pile, but it comes back to that that thing is that the, the the business wants to be able to know what it's doing. It cannot see the the extent of itself, and it cannot reconcile its knowledge together. And that's a whole art form uh in and of itself and i think there's it's a the, the, some people will just give a simplistic answer you throw it all in a lake and give give it to the right data scientist and uh, i think as we've been discussing there's a more mixed answer there has to be some rethinking on all the touch points to try mm-hmm. to do some pre-alignment so that when you throw it together it can it can give you better insights but i, I want to get specifically back to our first conversation where we before we before this one um where where we're talking about this coming together and the omni-channel thing and uh how do you get a centralized understanding and and you uh highlighted right off the bat that you know i throw the word omni-channel around all the time uh obviously but um it can mean different things to different people and uh that is a source of concern it is uh in terminology generally in our in 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 industry is, is, is a communication barrier. So uh, can you give me a little bit of insight on what you've heard, what other alternative definitions you've heard of omnichannel and uh, and what you think it means? You know, we have our definition on the website, but uh, what do you think it means? And what have you heard other people that gave you a little bit of pause when I use the term? So when you said to me, oh, I've got this amazing event called Omnichannel X, I'm like, why, huh? Why do you want a marketer to talk at Omnichannel? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the reason is partly because of some bias of some work I've been doing recently with customers. Mm-hmm. So they provide customer experience solutions, mm-hmm. which basically means when someone comes into a store or they need an appointment with someone, how do they actually manage the customer's expectation? Mm. So this could be booking a meeting room online. It could be making a phone call. It could be sending a text message to someone. It could be having a video interaction with someone. It could be actually having a face-to-face meeting. So my understanding was these are all different channels. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you were talking about omni-channel, I'm like, well, are you talking about how you're going to text me or how you're going to phone me? I don't don't really get it. Mm. And then... I realized, of course, that in a marketing context, omni-channel is which of the tools are you using? Which of the channels are you using to reach your target audience? So Mm -hmm. are you using social media? Are you using LinkedIn? Are you using email? Are you doing online advertising? Are you doing offline advertising? Are you doing TV, radio? All of the above. (laughs) Website, all of that. So those are all different channels. Mm -hmm. But the bias effect meant that I was thinking first and foremost about my customer who happens to use an omni-channel approach to the customer experience. But that's not what I understand that you meant by omni-channel because as far as I understand, omni-channel is, yeah, it's marketing and it's all the different channels that marketers use, Mm -hmm. but it's actually all the different channels that organizations use in a technology perspective as well. So tell me a little bit more about how you define omni-channel and why marketing's a part of that. Okay, so our our official definition, which we have on the site, is omnichannel is the unification of engagement and communication strategies so that they complement each other rather than run in parallel to give the audience what they really need. That means experience orchestration across multiple touch points and aligning content design, governance, and systems around the customer's journey. 
So it's a very customer-centric perspective, um, and it takes those four pillars, content design, governance, and systems, uh, and says, how can we all come together as various departments and, and job roles around, uh, around that? So effectively, I wasn't too far away in either of those definitions, mm -hmm. but it looks like you're taking a much broader view of things, which is, mm -hmm. yes, there are a lot of channels to reach your customer, but there's also lots of channels that you need to be to listen from your customer. And ultimately, it's about uh, the whole experience across an entire organization. So it's a very yes. macro, high-level view, which effectively is where the whole customer experience comes from. Well, customer if experience you itself are a customer, is a funny term. Exactly. If you are a customer, you have an experience of that brand. Every single touch point interaction you have with that brand, whether it's the advertising that you see or the person who responds on the phone when you call them or, you know, the bot that you see in the bottom right mm -hmm. corner when you're trying to get a question answered, but not that one. And can I speak to a human, please? Well, maybe that's just me, but you know. Yeah, 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 I know it's so, yeah. so omni-channel kind of logically makes sense, but the problem is because it's terminated, the terminology that's almost been adopted by a whole bunch of different sectors, mm -hmm. they will each use that definition to serve their own aims and in their own interpretation of how they serve their customers. Yeah, I, I, um, I think I, the, when you started talking, it, it it pinged to mind that immediately that I think the customer experience has that same problem, not as badly yeah. maybe as omnichannel maybe, but uh, I, I, there's a lot of people who think that or believe that I shouldn't, their, their perspective is that customer experience means the transactional buying experience, ah. which is what I'm getting, which is what I got from what you're saying. So what they mean is as I am, going through the operations and machinations of giving you money and exchanging it for product or service, what is that like? So it's a, for me, it's an extremely narrow definition of what the customer mm. experience is. Yes, that's true. So, um, and so when you, so the, there are the people who specialize in that, you know, de, de kinking and degreasing the, the money, the money trough, uh, so that it feeds the, the, the business efficiently. So that there's, you have a frictionless, uh, path to in the buying process. And that's fine. Uh, I have the same issue when, when people say customer journey maps, uh, which are dear to my heart, a lot of people mean the buying process or the sales yeah. funnel. And I'm going, yeah, well, exactly. no, Customers go on all sorts of journeys. Some are pre-sales, some are post-sales, some are the buying process. What are the journeys that they're going through in their customary lives that we're trying to support? Um, and so but again- Nas, you've got you've got to realize that this is why we're having the conversation. Yes. Because I think for, for better or ill, we've both lived in contexts where we've been extremely frustrated by the way we are treating our customers. Mm -hmm. Going, But if you just look beyond that, if you just connect the dots, if you just join these silos of the organization, we're not just talking about data rivers or data lakes, sorry, it was mm -hmm. data lakes. We're talking about people lakes. We're talking about human lakes. We're talking about human experience lakes Pretty where sister. the chances are that there are deep insights that different departments of an organization have about their customer. And it's like we were talking earlier about personas. Mm -hmm. And the problem with personas is that you have to, narrow down that scope so finely that you lose the nuance of what makes your customer human. I mean, it's a similar problem mm -hmm. with customer experience. Unless you're able to broaden 
the depth of understanding of what a customer does it kind of falls flat and that's why a lot of organizations even if they do touch a customer experience will do it from one department's perspective because it just gets far too complicated mm. so i think that that uh the it's a lot of things sort of interesting stuff there uh, so this year um you know depending on when you're listening to this uh, recording uh, in the 2020 conference we have uh, margot bloomstein who's going to be our keynote speaker and she is a content strategist and content strategy is another contentious term where people have different perspectives on it. Um, and one of the reasons that we selected her as a keynote is she's going, okay, what are the messages which you're trying to convey as an organization, regardless of channel, regardless of format, regardless of campaign, what are you trying to say to the world as a brand? Let's get that clear. Then we'll talk about how you package and ship it out on the various channels. Um, and I, th I think that it's, it's, it's about that zooming out. When we talk strategic, mm. there's a lot of, okay, let's come back and define the challenge, define what are we talking about? Who are we really talking to? What problems are we really trying to solve? So there's all this zooming out. And so I'm huge on that. Um, but it's uncomfortable for a lot of people because they want to zoom in. They want to get down into the nitty gritty and they want to go, okay, well, I, I, today I've got a campaign to run and I want it to be frictionless. Um, but I think if we don't take those big picture step back uh, moments, then we have a lot of issues and you know, we have a lot of challenges. And your book oh, talks about leadership a lot. So I want to ask you, if you are going to go to Omnichannel, uh, what, actions should leaders undertake to, uh, or to help them prepare, to help them prepare their teams or their businesses for this kind of way of working? That's a really difficult question to answer because it's really the how long is a piece of string question. Mm. From a practicality perspective, you can't go wrong with understanding what your customer actually wants. Mm -hmm. But if you take the approach that Henry Ford did, which is, you know, any color as long as it's black, or if I'd asked people what they'd wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Mm -hmm. Then your customers can only take you so far. Oh. I think there has to be a combination of vision and execution. Now, I did a lot of work to write the book, the chapter on strategy. I rewrote the chapter on strategy many times. Because for me, I never understood the concept of strategy because it's been used so variously like oh, yeah. any of these terms you know everyone wants to define it my strategy is i'm going to wear the blue shirt with a white tie that's <laughs> that's a that's a strategy apparently but it has been people use mm -hmm, the term mm -hmm. strategy for everything so to answer your question what should people be doing strategically or from a leadership perspective to use omni-channel across their organization if we use the definition of omni-channel, that is, it is any way of reaching your customer and getting feedback from your customer. So we'll establish a baseline there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're agreed. That's mm -hmm. the definition we're going to talk about from omni-channel. Then what a leader needs to do is to be able to have touch points across the organization that feed in their version of the truth for that customer experience in relation to how they can do that part of what they do better and then it's the leader's job to be able to go right our strategy is to achieve x whatever x is how can the feedback that we're getting from each part of the organization in relation to the customer experience be tweaked in order to get to that x 
Because the thing I learned about strategy while struggling to define it myself was that strategy is actually useless without execution. Because if you Cheers. don't know where you're going, you can't get there. But if you don't know how you're going to get there, there's no point in mm -hmm. saying we want to go there. Because mm -hmm. they're, they're two completely different things. So right. a lot of the advanced readers, uh, writers I read about talking about strategy were actually saying that you have to define your strategy in combination with the rest of your organization. I mean, that's tricky because the more people you add to a voice, it's like too many cooks spoiled the broth. Mm -hmm. The louder it gets, the more confusion there is, the more subtle nuances about people arguing over terminology exactly like we're doing. So if we just look at a pure leadership perspective of how do we make sure that we're getting all of the channels, input from all of the channels, and we're giving output to all of the right channels, it's got to be about let's focus. Mm. Let's Good. focus yeah. on that thing that we want to achieve, and let's focus on how every part of that organization can achieve that thing that we're focused or can help us work towards that thing that we want to reach doing the best of what they're doing in the best possible way that allows them to innovate sensibly and help us achieve that goal effectively, efficiently, promptly, and with hearts and minds in mind. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, I've, I've had a lovely conversation. I could talk to you for a whole afternoon. Um, I, I'm, I'm pained to cut off this discussion, but uh, I, think, I, think we, um, I think we should probably wrap it up there. Um, I hope we can have you back on the podcast and I hope we can get Absolutely. you at some point physically over to the event because that would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Thank you to uh, all of our listeners who've tuned in today and uh, hope to see you online and in person in the future. Uh, Gina, it's been a pleasure uh, and I will look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you very much, Nas. And Cheers. audience, keep on omni-channeling. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.